Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank Investment Banking Group. Our regional teams discuss the string of economic data that came out from Singapore and Bank of Indonesia's decision to hold interest rates, Malaysia's inflation that remains comparatively low, and the recovery of hoteliers in Thailand. Suhaimi Ilyas, Group Chief Economist, moderates the call. Morning, everyone. Uh, Monday, 30th May. Let's start with the customary uh, wrap-up of uh, key events last week. Um, last week saw S&P 500 and Nasdaq gain, ending seven consecutive uh, weekly losses. Uh, US Treasury 10-year yield also trended lower. Uh, the market and yield movements reflected some expectations that US inflationary pressures could be peaking, uh, taking cue from uh, core personal consumption expenditures or PCE price index that exclude food and energy. Uh, it rose 0.3% one-on-one in April, in line with expectations and little change from the preceding three months. While on an annual basis, this inflation measure came in at 4.9% uh, year-on-year last month. So just down from March 5.2% uh, year-on-year. At the same time, uh, economic indicators like US flash composite PMI for May, as well as April's durable good orders, excluding transportation and non-defense capital goods orders are signaling moderation in economic growth. Uh, meanwhile, minutes from the early May FOMC meeting contain no surprises uh, with all members uh, voicing support for 50 basis point rate hikes over the next uh, few meetings, which is uh, what market have been expecting. Um, over in Europe, ECB President Lagarde confirmed the end of ECB's bond buying program in early third quarter and made her first kind of explicit call for interest rate increases uh, by suggesting interest rate lift off in July and possible exit from current negative interest rate by end of next quarter. Uh, over in China, Premier Li Keqiang last week one of dire consequences for China's economy if they did not take measures to reverse the slowdown and call for a better balance uh, between pandemic controls and economic growth. Um, Shanghai, which has been under lockdown since, la uh, since late March, is gradually easing restrictions as uh, officials have started allowing more people out of their homes and businesses to reopen. Uh, with plans to reopen schools and allowing all manufacturers to operate next month. And over the weekend, uh, Shanghai unveiled a 50-step economic support packages uh, that include tax rebates, uh, speeding approvals of property projects and supply more building land. And to boost car sales, uh, Shanghai will raise the ownership quota, cut a purchase levy and subsidize EV buyers. And Shanghai will also ease testing mandates China also eased curbs, as authorities said its outbreak is under control. Uh, meanwhile, Hong Kong will relax some COVID testing rules for arriving travelers. And Japan is set to allow uh, some package to a tourist from overseas starting 10 June, ending a ban uh, that was introduced about two years ago as part of the country's virus control uh, program. Um, Still on China, land holdings, a mid-sized developer long regarded as one of the strongest property players in China, uh, asked holders of a $488 million uh, bond to uh, delay repayment by a year from the due date of 25th June, triggering a sell-off 
in its bonds. The news is concerning given that Shanghai Municipal Government is one of the company's shareholders, suggesting that even state-backed companies are not immune to the uh, credit crunch hitting China's property uh, sector. Um, also want to flag uh, something else uh, that has been happening uh, over the past few weeks. Uh, food protectionism is on the rise as uh, governments grapple to ensure supplies and contain prices of uh, essential food items domestically. So in the case of India, after announcing ban on wheat exports on 13 May, uh, it announced sugar export ban on 26 May. And India is the world largest producer and second largest exporters of sugar. And they are worried that India will also ban its rice export. Uh, closer to home, Malaysia will ban chicken exports starting 1st June until domestic supplies and prices stabilize. Uh, this is in addition to other measures such as lifting approval permits or AP for chicken imports, simplifying, simplifying process to claim uh, chicken production subsidy and create buffer stocks. Um, for this week, it will be a holiday shortened week uh, for some of the markets. US are closed today, Korea on Wednesday, UK on Thursday and Friday, and the likes of China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Thailand on Friday. Uh, key data to watch this week include a string of PMI's data for the month of May for major economies like US, Eurozone, UK, Japan, and China. Uh, we also have um, Eurozone and Indonesia CPI for the month of May and um, US payroll data. Um, today's conversation with search team will be macrocentric. Uh, we have Abin, Juye, Zambros, and Brian on Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Vietnam data. Uh, we have also Winston uh, to talk on US and Malaysia fixed income outlook. And uh, on equity, we'll have Anand and Yuani. Uh, who will also be on air to talk about regional equity and tie to tourism outlook. Uh, let's start with Hakbin. Uh, Hakbin, there's been a string of um, Singapore economic data released last week. We got the final first quarter 2022 GDP, and then we also have April inflation and industrial production. Can you run through with us this data, and are there any implications to our and official economic outlook and forecast on key micro numbers? Hey, hi, morning, Suhaimi. Yeah, there was a bunch of uh, data last week, so I'll just divide it in two parts. One is to on the growth and the manufacturing data, and then second on the inflation. So for the growth side, MTI maintained their 3% to 5% growth outlook for this year, but I think they warned essentially that growth will likely come in at the lower wage. And this is despite the upgrade to the final first quarter GDP growth, that's 3.7%, slightly higher than the earlier flash estimate of 3.4%. Uh, in terms of level, um, you can see the divergence in the recovery. Um, GDP is now roughly about 6% above pre-pandemic levels, driven by the manufacturing sector, about 20% above. Uh, good news is that services sector is also now about 4% over, above pre-pandemic, but construction is still well below, about minus 20%. I think um, you know, the, this data comes with a breakdown of the services components. Um, so, um, well, clearly reflecting the reopening because all the consumer facing sectors like retail trade, food and beverages services essentially improve. Uh, but the external oriented sectors, including the wholesale trade, transport storage, they're also growing, but growth is clearly moderating uh, due to softer trade volumes. Interestingly, the accommodation sector actually fell very sharply, minus 13.5% in the first quarter, simply because of the decline in government demand for quarantine facilities, more than offset the increase in visitor arrivals. 
uh, we expect the pickup on visitor arrivals to lift these numbers in the second quarter. Uh, breakdown as well of the business services, I guess for our sector, uh, probably to highlight that finance and insurance grew only 4% in uh, first Q. Uh, that's you know, moderating from the pretty high speed seen over the last two years. Uh, the government said it is due to the decline in the bank segment as both credit intermediation and net fees and commissions uh, fell. Uh, Infocom still growing pretty strongly, 8.2%, uh, but it is decelerating up to three straight quarters of uh, double-digit growth. Uh, so we are maintaining our forecast at 2.8%. That's still below the lower bound of MTS, 3 to 5%. We think that global headwinds will probably overwhelm and dampen to reopening tailwind uh, by the second half. The Ukraine war, China's rolling lockdowns, and global monetary tightening uh, will douse the recovery and undercut growth by the second half of the year. Uh, on the MES policy, we are expecting them to maintain the current tighter stance and steeper slope at the October meeting, following the double tightening move in April. Uh, uh, but there is a risk that inflation continues to price on upside. Bear in mind that the senior is trading at about 1.2% above the midpoint. Uh, so there's still a little bit more room to appreciate, I guess, before the MES is pressured to decide whether to, um, you know, to tighten further. On inflation front, a core inflation hit a decade high in April. It's up 3.3%, uh, driven by high inflation for food, retail, other goods, electricity, and gas. Uh, good news is I suppose that headline inflation kind of stabilized at 5.4%, and, um, and then uh, actually down slightly uh, from, the, from the previous month. Um, still, I think um, you know, the worries, are, you can see that uh, there's a broad increase in some of food prices, um, electricity gas prices are up 19%. Cost of retail and other goods, typically negative, um, is rising now about 1.6%. And clothing and footwear, typically negative, is, a, is up almost 1%. So I think there's a broadening of the inflation pressure. Uh, on inflation, we're making a forecast for now. Headline 4.8, core CPI 3%. Uh, we're wondering whether monetary policy actually may be sufficient to contain the intensified inflationary pressures or ease the tightness in the labor market. Uh, we expect the government to provide some supplementary budget eventually to ease the burden from the rising cost of living, especially on food and utilities. Um, bear in mind that the government is introducing the local qualifying salary or the de facto minimum wage in September, as well as expanding the progressive wage model to retail sector in September this year. Uh, for the retail sector, that could cover about 30 to 40,000 workers. Uh, we're wondering whether that's worth uh, reviewing or delaying. Uh, bear in mind that reopening has increased manpower demand in the aviation and hospitality sectors, which we think will struggle to find local work workers given the tight labor market. And that risks uh, spanning a, a wage price spiral. I'll uh, stop there. Thanks, Abin. Uh, interesting comment about whether monetary policy is sufficient and right tools in dealing with inflation. And I think that is a nice way to bring in Julia into discussion because last week, uh, be uh, Bank Indonesia surprised by keeping interest rates rather than hiking. So I think, Julie, what's the rationale behind the decision at a time when regional peers like BNM and BSP started to raise interest rate and Fed is signaling additional 50 bits hikes on the way? And does the BI move or the lack of it alter our view on Indonesia's monetary policy outlook? Good morning, Swami, everyone. Um... So BI uh, maintained its policy rate at 3.5% last week, uh, and that's despite the pickup in inflation. Uh, headline CPI had been uh, climbing to 3.5% as of April, and also amid the tightening trend globally as well as regionally. 
uh, we had been expecting BI to hike by 25 bips uh, last week, but I think the, the previous week's policy decisions uh, gave some room for BI to hold on to the lower rate for longer. And these decisions are, are to raise energy subsidies in order to contain inflation and also to lift the ban on palm oil exports uh, in order to support the current account balance. Uh, to recap, the parliament had recently approved the government request to significantly uh, raise energy subsidies by 75 trillion rupiah and additional compensation of 275 trillion rupiah uh, to state-owned energy firms, Pertamina and PLN. Uh, in total, that's uh, equivalent to around 2% of GDP, which is quite a significant amount. Uh, the current account balance has also been quite healthy. Uh, in the first quarter, it came in at a small surplus of 220 million US dollars, or around 0.1% of GDP. Uh, but having said that, while BI kept its policy rate unchanged, it did announce uh, faster hikes in the reserve requirement ratio, uh, which will be raised from the current 5% to 6% in June, uh, as previously planned, and then to 7.5% in July and 9% in September. Uh, compared to the original plan to raise to just 6.5% in September. Uh, the BI governor stated that this additional increase uh, will absorb around 110 trillion rupiah, that's around 7.5 billion US dollars uh, from the banking system uh, on top of the expected 200 trillion rupiah under the previous policy. So that would hopefully help to uh, normalize the liquidity. Uh, we do maintain our view for a 75 bips hike this year. Uh, the economy has climbed above pre-pandemic levels. Uh, inflation is aging up uh, to the upper end of BI's target range. And also with the Fed expected to hike a total of 275 bits this year. Uh, we are now looking at BI to deliver its first rate hike uh, in the next meeting on the 23rd of June. Uh, and that would follow the Fed's rate announcement on the 16th of June. And by then, uh, the Fed having hiked by another 50 bips would have... Uh, cumulatively hiked a total of 125 bips this year. And with additional fiscal support uh, approved by the government to support domestic demand, uh, we think BI will start normalizing its policy rate uh, to close this widening rate differential against the Fed. So let's stop there, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jui. Uh, uh, let's move on to Zamros. Uh, on Malaysia, specifically uh, headline and core inflation rates uh, rose in April, but only slightly and generally remain low versus the kind of inflation numbers we are seeing regionally and globally. Uh, Zambros, can you explain to our audience this morning on the dynamics behind consumer prices in Malaysia? Hi, morning, Swami. Morning, everyone. Yes, uh, headline inflation uh, from Malaysia only gradually rose uh, to 2.3% in April uh, from 2.2% uh, in March which basically makes the uh, year-to-date January to April inflation of 2.2%. Uh, and uh, at the same time, core inflation also uh, very gradual, 2.1% uh, year-on-year in April uh, from 2% uh, in March, which makes the uh, January to April core inflation of 1.9%. So this uh, very gradual uptick is mainly because of the uh, higher food and non-alcoholic beverages uh, costs being cushioned by the very minimal transport uh, inflation, partly due to the uh, basic effect, because uh, transport costs uh, last year, for most of last year, was uh, double-digit uh, inflation. So with that, we uh, maintain our inflation forecast for this year 
of uh, 2.7%, uh, but uh, we maintain, uh, we acknowledge uh, the upside risk coming in from the uh, elevated global energy and uh, food prices. Uh, the, secondly, the supply chain disruptions uh, from the Russia-Ukraine war and China's lockdown. And then thirdly, we have the uh, Malaysia's minimum wage, uh, higher minimum wage introduced uh, on 1st May of this year, and also the uh, weaker uh, ringgit uh, against uh, the US dollar. But of course, uh, our forecast of 2.7% for this year for Malaysia is a lot lower, significantly lower than the uh, uh, regional peers, ASEAN regional peers. Uh, Indonesia, for example, uh, Average inflation forecast for this is 3.7%, uh, Vietnam 4%, Philippines 4.6%, and Singapore and Thailand of 4.8%. Uh, again, uh, the question is why we have such a low uh, inflation forecast for Malaysia for this year. So mainly because of the uh, government uh, interventions and measures uh, to mitigate the supply driven of cost push uh, inflation. And uh, I think uh, the first Important measures is the blanket fuel subsidies uh, introduced by the government since uh, the 10th February of last year, whereby the RON95 petrol was fixed at 2 ringgit and 5 cents, uh, diesel at 2 ringgit and 15 cents. And if you compare that with the RON97 price, which is floating right now at 4 ringgit and 70 cents. Secondly, we also have the uh, freeze on electricity tariff uh, starting from 1st February this year until December 2024. Uh, and then we have the subsidies uh, to poultry farmers uh, in starting from February this year, as the government fixed uh, the ceiling price for chicken. We also have the uh, measures of no highway toll rate hike or for the four highways in Klang Valley until 2032. Uh, the abolishment of the uh, AP for selected food imports, mainly on chicken. Uh, cabbage, coconut, and milk, and also the halt of chicken export starting from uh, 1st June uh, this year. That's it. Thanks, uh, Lamros. A lot of uh, policy interventions there to stabilize uh, prices of uh, essential uh, items for consumers. Let's move on to Vietnam. Uh, Brian, can you update us on Vietnam's economic data and outlook, eh, given the uh, divergent numbers? on domestic economic activities and external trade. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, so uh, Vietnam data was released yesterday uh, showing a divergence between uh, trade and consumer demand. Um, Vietnam is the first ASEAN country to release the May data and may provide a prelude or insights on trade data for the rest of ASEAN and impact from China's lockdowns. Industrial production uh, remained remarkably resilient, expanding 10.4% over the previous year, or 4% month-on-month. Uh, garment production, uh, surprisingly, was one of the best performers and held up in spite of anecdotal export reports that the garment industry was facing production difficulties due to logistical bottlenecks caused by China lockdowns. Factories have been adopting adaption, adaptation measures such as running down existing materials inventory, prioritizing orders with sufficient materials to produce first, and substitution with Korean and time materials. And these measures could have helped to reduce the disruption on production. Month-on-month uh, -month declines in production were recorded across uh, computers and electronics, mobile phones and phone accessories. These right likely reflect the impact of supply chain disruption from China lockdowns, especially in the major electronics hub of Shanghai. 
Merchandise exports grew at a slower year-on-year pace of 16.4% compared to 25% in April. It declined 8.5% over the previous month on the back of electronics, telephones, garments, and footwear. Severe disruptions to factory production and transport in China could have affected demand for intermediate components supplied by Vietnam's factories. Export volume likely declined more, given that the nominal outturn was flattered by rising prices. Imports growth slowed less than exports to around 13% from 16% the previous month, sliding 0.8% month-on-month as surging commodity prices offset supply disruptions. The trade balance fell into a deficit of 1.7 billion US dollars after two consecutive months of surplus, although the year-to-date trade balance remains in a surplus. Consumer-facing sectors were buoyant on reopening and return of tourists. There was a marked acceleration in nominal retail sales to 22.6% over the previous year on strong tourism demand and accommodation and food sales. In level terms, retail sales has recovered to its pre-pandemic peak, which was January 2020, in April, uh, which last month, and has now surpassed January 2020 levels by almost 6%. Headline inflation accelerated to 2.9% in May from 2.6% last month, primarily on higher transport prices. The rise in headline inflation over the past few months has nonetheless been more gradual than most other ASEAN economies, in part due to Vietnam's status as a significant agricultural producer. Abundant domestic supply of crops and livestock on top of government efforts to rein in price hikes seem to have cushioned local food prices and are likely to continue to put a lid on trajectory of the inflation increase over the coming months. Therefore, uh, we lower our annual average headline inflation forecast slightly to 3.7% for 2022 from 4% previously. We maintain our full-year GDP growth forecast at 5.8% for 2022. We expect that headwinds to global growth will undercut growth in trade-related sectors and offset the reopening boost to consumer-facing sectors. Second quarter GDP is expected to slow to around 4% year-on-year from 5% in the first quarter. We expect the State Bank of Vietnam to commence monetary policy normalization in the fourth quarter of this year with a 50 basis points hike to the refinancing rate and discount rate on broadening inflationary pressures. We think that the SBV will be patient on tightening even as other ASEAN central banks have begun their tightening cycles. The SBV is likely to prioritize growth at this juncture, given that inflation remains relatively contained and risks to the Vietnam dong from Fed tightening are also relatively contained due to robust external buffers, including a healthy current account position and ample foreign reserves. Thanks, Brian. So after that uh, whirlwind tour of uh, ASEAN economics, uh, let's move on to fixed income. Um, Winston, we are seeing some reversals to the earlier surge in US Treasury yield. Uh, what causes the change in direction and, and what does it mean in terms of you know, market expectation on US micro? And ultimately, where do you see US Treasury heading between now and uh, year end? Hi, morning, so Jaime. Yeah, US Treasury yields have fallen by about 30 to 50 bit, almost across the curve since the peaks in early May. For example, the 10-year US yield was at 3.2%. Now it, it is down to about 275 uh, Similarly, for other so-called core developed market sovereign yields, such as the UK guild, the German bonds, and also those in the Eurozones, 
uh, yields have generally fallen. The main reason that caused the change in direction, I think, is because the market was overpricing inflation fears while underpricing recession risk. And no doubt US inflation is too high, uh, CPI running at more than 8% year on year over the past two months. And knowing that the Fed was already well behind the curve in rate normalization, there's nothing much the Fed can do but to hike rate and to hike rate aggressively. 50 bit in May, 50 bit in June, and another 50 bit in July seems likely. So the Fed will keep hiking rate until inflation starts to come under control. And not only that, rate hike seems to be fairly synchronized across major central banks with very few exceptions. So that's why we had a massive sell-off on bonds and durations. But I think aggressive rate hike, as usually the case, would cause some collateral damages in the economy. For example, the US financial conditions have already tightened quite significantly. And the US high-yield corporate spreads have also widened a lot. So now I think the market has started to take a more balanced view between inflation fears and recession risk. For example, the 10-year US break-even rate, a market measure of long-term inflation expectation has also softened to about 2.6-2.7% from above 3% just a month ago. So on US Treasury market outlook between now and year-end, we still expect the 10-year US yield to fall below 2.5%. But I have to say, uh, this is still a non-consensus call. Uh, whereas for the MGS market, similarly, uh, we, uh, we, we are also mildly, we are also mildly bullish. Uh, it had a revenge rally recently. So I think in the near term, it might enter a consolidation phase. But between now and year-end, I still think that yields can fall a bit. Um, what's your outlook on you know, domestic bond market and MGS yield? Uh, yeah, MGS, we have toned down. Uh, we were very bullish. I think it was a shouting buy. Um, now, I think we are still mildly bullish. We think you can still fall slightly from the current level. Um, lastly, um, just curious, how have market pricing of US Fed fund rates and BNM OBR evolved in recent weeks? Can you tell us? Yeah, uh, market pricing has turned less hawkish on both the Fed funds rate and the OPR. Uh, firstly, on the Fed funds rate, based on the futures market pricing. Uh, previously, the market was pricing in for the Fed funds rate to go to a peak of closer to 3.5%. Now it has fallen to about 3% or slightly below 3% in terms of the peak rate. And secondly, on the OPR, if you look at the implied pricing from the interest rate swap or the RS curve, um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a panic sell-off and market pricing literally went over the roof, expecting OPR to go well above 4% in 2023. But now it has come off slightly, but still has priced in a full normalization in OPR to about 3.25%. Thanks, uh, Winston. Let's move to Yuani. Uh, Yuani, we... Hosted Thai Hoteliers Day on 24th May. Uh, can you share with us the main highlights and key takeaways from the companies we featured at the event, especially on Thailand's uh, tourism industry's short-term and longer-term outlook, and also curious to know how the industry players are impacted by and coping with inflation? Thank you. Good morning. The key highlights are Thailand should enjoy a gradual recovery from second quarter onwards due to the big Songkran break 
and the easing of entry rules such as the abolishment of test and go. However, the recovery uh, should still be lower than overseas, especially in Europe. Hoteliers believe that the recovery will be most prominent in the fourth quarter due to peak seasonality. In the long term, they expected full recovery to pre-COVID level in 2024. Our topic is mint owing to fast recovery in Europe. For cost inflation, the restaurant business is raising menu prices. However, we don't think it's enough and EBITDA margin should be lower going forward. But the F&B business should still be fine because of the high-end customers. And they, for this reason, they should be able to pass on costs. Thanks, Yumani, for that uh, quick update. Um, that's it for today. But uh, before we end again, just want to flag uh, Maybank's IBG's flagship annual event invest uh, ASEA next week on 6 and 9 June. Invites and link to registration have been sent. So please look for it and register. Thanks, everyone. For specific advice, speak to your trading rep and check out reports from Market Insights on the Maybank Trade app. Follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank Investment Banking Group.